The scripture reading this morning will come from Psalm chapter 56, verses 3 through 4 and 9 through 11. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God, who I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? This is God's word. You may be seated. I'm going to invite you to pull out that that sermon outline, and you'll find some places to fill in the blank and some white area to uh, to make some notes. Maybe something I uh, said this morning is, uh, is going to resonate a little bit with you, and you want to spend some time maybe looking up some other passages or thinking and praying about some of the things we're going to be talking about this morning. We are um, going to continue our series, This Is Us, and uh, we're going to jump into Isaiah um, 41 in Psalm 56, Numbers 13 and 14 this morning, and talking about fear. And uh, before we do that, I'm going to ask you to join your hearts and to bow your heads as we ask God to bless us. Our God, who is by far greater than the sum total of our fears, we so humbly, Father, and we so willingly bow our knees and submit our wills and bend our hearts before you. We recognize that in your presence, Father, and only in your presence, can those places where we are weak and experience weaknesses find true strength. You come into our world and you come into our lives as a force of good and as a force of truth. And as a force of love. Our prayer is for forgiveness when we forget you in the presence of enemies, in the presence of danger, in the valley of the shadow of death. When we fear evil because we forget you are with us. Bless us with a a bigger picture and a greater vision, Father of your presence in our life. And bless us, Father, with a keen sense of who you are in every circumstance and situation by giving us eyes that see and ears that hear. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I said earlier, we are in a series we're calling This Is Us. And we've got maybe another one or two weeks left in this series, but uh, the inspiration was uh, the TV show, This Is Us, which is about a family that is like no other family in the world. And the church, when you think about it, people like us, disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, members of the Lord's body, the church, the community of faith, we are like no other family in the world. And so as a community, what we have discovered as a special family in in San Antonio, we have discovered that as a a church, as a family of God, as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, we, number one, we choose in our life to to make it better. Whether it's in the relationships, whether it's in issues that arise at work or in families, 
whether it's in conversations, whether it's with somebody that is sad, we choose to be the kind of people that make it better. Genesis, uh, uh, Peter in, in Acts chapter 10 is talking with the Gentiles about the gospel. And one of the ways that he describes Jesus is someone who went around doing good. That's the life that we emulate. Number two, we live for him because he died for us. Which means that we die to self because he died for us. And we live for him because he died for our sins. We understand what it means to deny ourselves in order to live according to his will. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, Jesus tells his disciples that if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. And you have to pick up this cross, which is an instrument of death, and you follow me. Jesus did not die in order for us not to die. He was crucified in order for us to be crucified with him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Number three, we're also the people who choose to be unoffendable. In a world in which all weaknesses and mistakes are scrutinized and then they're publicized, we are the people who choose to not be offended, but to engage with people of, 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 of whatever kind we might meet in our days people that are like us or people that are different from us, we choose to be unoffendable. The people of the gospel choose not to be separated from the people who need the gospel one offense at a time. Number four, we are also the people who know that it's really not about us. That a small life and a boring life is one that is self-centered and one that is, is, uh, is focused on, 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 on self. We understand that that serving is not just something we do but our identification as the people of God like Jesus is to we are servants at heart for the son of man came not to be served but to what serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and then last week we discovered that we are also the ones ironically who find joy in sacrifice those are two things that don't really go together, but in the kingdom of God they do. What is it that Jesus said in, in Acts? He's quoted in Acts something that is not found in the Gospels. But what is it that he is quoted as saying in Acts chapter 15? It's more blessed to give than to. We understand that there is joy in sacrifice. What we want to think about this morning is how as a church family, we find God is our Father. We're brothers and sisters with each other. And as we live our life as disciples in this world, we have to deal with choosing to live unafraid in the world. I've quoted um, from a book entitled The Denial of Death from Time to Time. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning book back in the 60s by a fellow by the name of Ernst Becker. He died at a very young age, 49 years of age. But before he did, he was beginning to write some very serious things in our culture about death. And he says... I think that taking life seriously means something such as this. That whatever man does on this planet has to be done in the lived truth of the terror of creation. And of the rumble of panic underneath everything. A couple of uh, paragraphs later he writes about the meaning of the universe being a rhythm of sorrow. End of quote. I, I talk to a lot of people in our city, and I know you do too. And one of the things I think that we discover in these conversations is that we have a sense that these folks, our, our fellow citizens, are living with that rumble of panic 
that's underneath everything. It might be concerns in the cyber world of identity theft and the hassle that happens when all of that, all of that, uh, uh, that personal information has been collected by people of mild intent. Uh, there's terrorism and violence that does not make sense. What about retirement? People every once in a while wonder if they're going to ever be able to retire. Are they going to have enough money? Or if they're in retirement, are they going to have money to the end? There's what's happening in our culture politically. What's happening on campuses academically. What's happening in our culture economically. What's happening racially. And although violent crimes have been reduced by more than half since the 1990s, and the murder rate has dropped to the level of 1964. Most people sense the rumble of panic underneath everything. In a book that I referenced a couple of weeks ago, The Coddling of the American Mind, the authors talk about catastrophizing as a phenomenon in our culture today. It's focusing on the worst possible outcome and seeing it as the most likely. For a lot of people that we run into and rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis, the world seems like a really complicated, dangerous place, like, like a, a room with scared children and the adult has left the room. Believe it or not, the Bible is filled with stories of people whose fear got the best of their faith. And one of the most famous is found in Numbers chapter 13, verses, uh, well, all of the verses beginning with, Uh, verse 1 of chapter 13, going to the end of chapter 14. But you know this story. It begins in the Exodus uh, with the vision that God gives the people, the Hebrew, his, his, his people in Egypt, of a promised land that flows with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. And the Hebrews have to be delivered from their slavery to Egypt. This is done, as you know, by the ten plagues, the destruction at the Red Sea of the greatest, most powerful army at that time in the world. And they make their way, being led by God, to Mount Sinai. And they're there for about nine to ten months. And they're learning what it means to be the God of people. Some rules and regulations are given about how they're to conduct themselves in the presence of this holy God. But on top of that, every day they see the presence of God as this power and this energy and this benevolent force that has come into their life. This, this, this God, this creator, this being who loves them and is going to take care of them. Well, through this period, God keeps emphasizing that he's going to give them the land. To think about it as already something that they possess. They leave the region. They move north to the promised land in direction of Israel. And they come to a really famous place in the Bible called Kadesh Barnea. And there's a lesson for us in what comes next. Uh, Moses sends 12 spies, one from each tribe, into the land. They're there for 40 days. And when they come back, they have a report for the people. And they say, upon coming back... That God was absolutely right. That what he said, his word and description of the land was absolutely correct. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. It is absolutely gorgeous, high grass, lots of fruit, water. It's a wonderful land, this land of promise. But, they say, we saw these gigantic cities with fortified gigantic walls. And if you thought that that was bad enough, 
the people are even stronger. These are giants. And in our eyes, we look like grasshoppers in comparison. And the people who saw their deliverance from Egypt by the mighty, mighty hand of God begin to catastrophize. Oh my goodness, we're not going to be able to do it. We've just been brought out to this place to be massacred and to be slaughtered and to be enslaved. It would be better for us. In their fear, they say it's better for us to go back to where we were before. You know the story? They argue that they should go back to Egypt. In the end, they don't go back to Egypt. In the end, they do not go forward into the promised land. Because of their fear, for 40 years, they are stuck. Stuck for four decades in the desert, just miles from the promised land. Seeing with their own eyes the beauty of that land, having seen with their own eyes the power of God in saving them from their enemies and providing for them when they had no way of providing for themselves, of being true to every word that He said. And somehow... Their fear trumped the presence of God. This is one of the reasons why the Bible says from Genesis all the way through to the maps, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Easier said than done, right? You know, one of the things about this is that the, the Bible doesn't say that the world automatically becomes a place without enemies or a place without valleys of the shadow of death or a place that doesn't have tight spots. What the Bible says is that there becomes this inner reality of God's presence in you and faith growing, this, this inward reality that leads to outward results. And what the Bible teaches us is that we need to orientate our lives towards those four words. Do not be afraid. Three things. First, you faith it with God. You faith it with God. I have a friend uh, by the name of Kim Self. He's a uh, preacher many years ago. And he played football at ACU. And there was a fellow that he played football with. I, I forget his name. But he said whenever they ran up against a hard team or a, a, a tight spot as a football team, this guy would, would try to say, you got to face it. But he had a lisp. And so when they got into a tight spot, he would say, you got to faith it. you got to faith it. And Kim said, he was exactly right. And he didn't even know it. You got to faith it with God. Back to Kadesh Barnea. Joshua and Caleb say to the fear filled Hebrews, You got to faith it. Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 14, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and say it with me do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do you hear that last line? The Lord is 
with us. It's not denying that there are giants in the land, but it's emphasizing the presence of God. This is something that is said over and over and over in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I've told you this story once before, I think, of being in middle school and junior high up outside of Washington, D.C. And we had a fellow student who shall remain nameless because he was obnoxious. And he made enemies wherever he went. There was just something about this kid. It's just awkward. And he sort of reveled in it. And he, I guess, liked being the kid that everybody hated. Well, one day... To everybody's surprise, he committed the one egregious and shocking sin that came to our middle school sensibilities, and he hit a girl. And what happened is that word of that got around, and the next thing you know, there begins to be this swirl of of righteous uh, indignation at what this guy had done. And the next thing you know, I'm I'm walking home with one of my best friends, And I see this kid come tearing down the sidewalk past us, and there's about 300 middle schoolers after him. And he is running for his life. So we did what most middle schoolers do, you know, fear of missing out. We go, we we want to see this. And I remember being in my, he actually lived across the street from one of my best friends. And we're standing in his yard. As, as this kid makes it into his house, and the 300 kids are out front yelling at him. And they, you know, they want this guy. And I mean, I'm feeling kind of nauseated. I mean, nobody deserves this. And the next thing you know, this car comes roaring across, around the corner, and somebody yells, it's his old man. And you 300 middle schoolers just take off in every direction. The car comes to a stop, and his dad gets out of it. And he looks around, and then he walks up to the house, and he brings his son out. And his son comes. And the father's presence is what has given courage. This, this, this was, I'm, I'm not trying to say this kid was innocent. He was not. But what struck me that day was the power of a father's presence in the life of his kids. Here are these insurmountable odds that this kid is facing. And all it took was for his dad to be near. You know that church in Philippians really struggled with some hard things. Paul says to them towards the end of that book, he says, remember to rejoice, but also remember this. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. We orientate our lives towards fearlessness in this world because there is a Father who is near. And then the second thing, not only do we faith it with God, but we pray God's Word. Dorothy Bernard, who was this silent uh, movie star 100 years ago, she said, you know what courage is? Courage is fear that it has said 
Courage is fear that has said its prayers. One of the ways that God's Word becomes a practical part of our lives is that it gives us the words for our prayer. This is what David does with his fears. He prays them to God. Psalm 56 that Dean read for us a couple of minutes ago was written when David was on the run from King Saul who was trying to kill him. And he says, When I am afraid, I'll put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And he gives us words to pray. When we find fear coming into our life, we pray these words, Father, I am afraid. I choose to trust you in this time of fear. The God I worship as the mighty creator of the universe is the God I choose to put my trust in. In your presence, I will not fear. Amen. And then finally, we trust forward. You you have to face your fear in the presence of God. You faith it with God. And you pray the words of these psalms, and you pray your fears to God, but then you have to trust forward. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has fed 5,000 men plus their families with five loaves and two fish. He is showing people that He is sufficient, that He takes care of needs, that He is to be trusted, to be sufficient in their life. And then verse 22, He makes the disciples to get into their boat and go to the other side. Jesus wants a little alone time, a little downtime. He goes off into the mountains alone to pray. And in the middle of the night, he decides it's time for me to go to the other side. And he comes to the disciples walking on the water in the middle of some very rough waves. Imagine it's dark and you're being buffeted around in a medium-sized boat. And then you see somebody walking towards you on the water. They're scared. They're scared of the rough seas, but they're more scared when they see the Christ. And in verse 26, they cry out in fear. And immediately Jesus says to them, Take courage, it's I. Do not be afraid. Well, here's Peter. And we know about Peter. Peter says, Well, if it's you, then command me to come out on the water. Did he think that Jesus was going to say, no, stay in the boat? And Jesus says, of course, and commands him to come. And Peter's got his eyes on Jesus, and he gets out of the boat and gets out onto the waves and out on the water. Here's a moment of hesitation takes his eyes off of Jesus, starts to sink. But what is it that Jesus does? Jesus grabs him and pulls him up. And one of the things that this story tells us is that if you want to walk on water, you have to trust Jesus to get out of the boat. You know, we have this German shepherd. German shepherds, we love them because they're courageous dogs, they're smart dogs, they're intelligent dogs. My wife will tell you that they are a shedding dog. But we love Lonnie. That's our dog. And uh, she is uh, brave. And when I'm not at home at night, I never fear that Ellen is alone. That dog is there. 
But here's the thing about our German Shepherd. That dog is very, very brave, except when it comes to fireworks and to lightning. And that German Shepherd literally begins to shake. And when the 4th of July or New Year's or whenever there's firecrackers and rockets fired off, that dog comes looking for me. Or if it's raining, and like it has over the last two months, with all that thunder and all that lightning, that dog hears that, and it comes looking for me. And it lays down on my side of the bed. That dog knows and trusts me that in my presence, I will never let the thunder get to her. That dog knows that I will never let the bottle rockets and the firecrackers get to her. And I think that what this dog does is give us an example of what it means to trust who is our master, who is our king, who is our Lord, with what happens with the very things that we're fearful of, that we're afraid are going to get us, that are going to hurt us. And God our Father says, you can come into my presence. I'm near. Don't be anxious. Even though you will go through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear because I am with you. Rod and staff, we are with you. And one of the things that I think really stands out about our church family living in a culture where people are struggling with the very things that are afraid are going to hurt them or to harm them is to be a people who realistically look at life through the lens of the presence of God and say, even if it comes, whatever comes, God is near. I will not be afraid. We're going to sing a song right now, praise to God. And we're going to have uh, three shepherds down here at the front. If there are ways that we might be able to pray for you or counsel you, or if you would like to give your life to, to God this morning by being baptized into His Son, Jesus, for the remission of your sins, to change your life in repentance and to confess that He is Lord and to receive His Holy Spirit and to begin that transformation of becoming the human being that God always intended for us to be, that ends with Him literally in His presence in heaven. We want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together. There is love that came for us Humble to a sinner's cross You broke my shame and sinfulness You rose again victorious Faithfulness none can deny Through the storm and through the fire There is truth that sets me free Jesus Christ who lives in me You are strong 